Welcome to the brand new series of the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. If you're not familiar with the format of the show, every week we'll be bringing you interviews with the key figures from the sports law and sports business industries to discuss the topical legal and regulatory developments and issues from the world of sport. We had taken a break from the show over the past few months whilst we've been working on the New Look website and increasing the breadth and depth of our content. We'd just like to thank our readers for their overwhelmingly positive feedback, both on our content, but also the New Look website and particularly our mobile responsive design. So that basically means it makes it much more enjoyable experience for you to access our content on your smart devices, whether it's a tablet or mobile phone. Anyway, in this first episode back, I'm delighted to bring you an exclusive interview with Matthew Reeb, the Secretary General for the Court of Arbitration for Sport. If you consider yourself to be a sports lawyer or you're an aspiring sports lawyer, you need to stay tuned to listen to this fascinating interview with one of the most influential lawyers in sport. In this interview, Matthew shares his personal journey into sports law, explains the structures and the workings of the Court of Arbitration for Sport and provides advice for sports lawyers and aspiring arbitrators and much, much more. Stay tuned for a great episode. Well, I'm here in Lausanne with Matthew Reeve from the Court of Arbitration for Sport, who's kindly agreed to meet with me to discuss um, a little bit about the structures and processes of CAS and tell us about his background um, and how he became a sports lawyer. Uh, Matthew, thanks for joining me today and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> Happy. Um, I thought to start off with, people here, um, particularly given some of the instances that have happened at the World Cup, uh, people hear a lot about the Court of Arbitration for Sport in, in the press. Sometimes they don't really go into detail about the structure of uh, the CAS and the processes that are involved. I wonder if you just give a brief overview of the general structures of CAS and then some of the processes and the cases that you will hear here. Right. So, in, in a few words, the structure of CAS is composed uh, of two uh, bodies or two organs. Uh, the first one is, um, would say, the governing body, which is the International Council of Arbitration for Sport, which is uh, abbreviated the ICAS. It's composed of 20 persons, and these people do not decide cases. They, I would say, manage uh, the administration and the financing of the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the CAS. The CAS is more a brand than a real um, uh, person or entity. Um, it is, uh, in fact, a composition of uh, all the arbitrators plus um, the uh, court office, which um, provides uh, parties or so athletes, federations, clubs, and so on, uh, a service in order to solve uh, sports-related disputes. So, in in a short way, this is. ICAS and CAS are the two uh, bodies uh, composing the CAS, I would say the structure uh, of CAS. And and how many arbitrators are there? We have um, 300, more or less, uh, 300 arbitrators uh, coming from more than 80 countries in the world. They mostly come from Europe because we have more business in Europe than in the rest of the world, but we do have also a certain number of arbitrators in Northern America, uh, Australia, uh, South America, a little bit more than before, and uh, also Africa, Asia. So, but I would say the majority of our arbitrators are based in Europe, and also the majority of arbitrators selected by parties are also from Europe. And what is the general profile for a CAS arbitrator? Uh, you have to be a lawyer, uh, so you have to have, um, I would say, a degree in law 
and we ask also these arbitrators to be uh, practitioner, um, so counsel, lawyers, uh, practicing lawyers, uh, or they can be also judges, or they can be also professor, law professor. Um, the goal being that they are interested in sports, that they know about sports law, they know about international arbitration. They can be, we don't expect that everybody is an expert in both international arbitration and sports law, but at least one of the two, um, I would say, uh, criteria should be met, uh, with the other being developed also uh, through the career. And you mentioned that you've got people from, or arbitrators, sorry, from all around the world, and you hear cases from around the world. The headquarters are based here in Lausanne, um, but you've also got some decentralised offices and also an ad hoc division. I wonder if you could just explain how that is structured. Yeah, the headquarters in Lausanne, uh, this is the seat of the arbitrations, all arbitrations in the world, even if they are heard, uh, I mean, physically in a different city. So the legal seat remains Lausanne, Switzerland. Uh, this is important because it is also uh, the reason why all appeals against CAS decisions, CAS awards, can be uh, filed at the Swiss Federal Tribunal, which is the highest uh, instance in, uh, in our country, in Switzerland. Um, now we have also two decentralized offices, one in Sydney, Australia, and one in New York. And these are, I would say, administrative branches where applications, requests can be filed. Uh, in Australia, they are managed uh, by um, some staff um, which is uh, trained for that. They can follow uh, cases, the procedures, and they would uh, also conduct the arbitration together with the arbitrators uh, there in Australia or Oceania. Um, we do have also um, alternative hearing centers, which are not exactly the same as decentralized uh, court office, but uh, they are, um, I would say, a partnership that we have signed with different cities in the world, like uh, Abu Dhabi, Shanghai, uh, Kuala Lumpur, and these, um, entity, these uh, partnerships allow us to use uh, services and uh, uh, venues where we can hear cases. Uh, we can also have meetings, seminars there. We try to encourage also and promote sports arbitration in these regions. So having these uh, decentralized and, and other venues that you can use, what, what's, what, what benefit does that offer? And also then, you know, what is your objective? Because I know that you've been doing a lot of outreach, a lot of training uh, programs. Mm. What is the purpose of that? And you know, how, how, where does that fit into a, a bigger plan, I guess? Yeah, but you can guess the answer, I think, because <laughs> uh, as I said, most of our activity basically starts from Europe and is developed in Europe, but uh, professional sports now is moving everywhere. I mean, uh, India, Japan, China, of course, uh, Australia, New Zealand. So we have a lot of places where uh, professional sports has developed and where also, uh, I would say, legal issues can arise and where we can need arbitration services. Um, so the goal is really to inform and to promote our services uh, and sports arbitration generally in, uh, in these places. Um, at the moment we do have some transnational cases between, uh, for example, China and another country in Europe or, uh, or the Middle East uh, with also another country in Europe. So we have a mix of uh, various um, countries involved in, in litigation, in CAS uh, procedures. Uh, but we could have in the future more regional disputes, like uh, let's say two countries from the Middle East or two countries from the Far East. And this is where probably our decentralized offices and uh, alternative hearing centers would become more and more useful. And you've got an office in New York. What would you say is the sort of, 
an opportunity or challenge in relation to what the CAS is doing and the American market? Well, uh, we do have uh, links and uh, contacts with the uh, U.S. ports. Um, we know that they have their own uh, organization, their, their own procedures. Uh, we can offer our services, we can explain and inform more and more uh, uh, these uh, entities. And we believe, like in other sports, that maybe someday there could be uh, an interest for our uh, our, our business because we provide uh, totally independent service uh, and uh, independent decisions. Um, it's really a neutral process and uh, I know that for certain sports in USA uh, it's not exactly the same kind of procedure with involvement of uh, say the um, commissioner or collective bargaining agreement have been signed between players and uh, owners and this is also where it's probably difficult uh, in a very short time to change the system. But uh, we think that there could be a need or an interest in the, in the future and uh, without being too, um, I would say, optimistic at the moment, we think that uh, perhaps there is something to create maybe with uh, a more American structure than now because we are really European, based in Switzerland, with a final appeal before the Swiss Federal Tribunal which may sound a little bit strange for um, participants in, uh, in, in US sports. So there is something to do probably, there's a challenge here. I think we can offer certainly a system which would be uh, helpful and interesting for, uh, I would say, players and owners uh, in USA. That's, that's, that's interesting, I'd like to see how that develops. Having been at the SLA, I know you were out there speaking, there does seem to be a, a sea of change. American sport and I think you come back to the your the answer you gave I think to the first question that sport is globalizing yep. and that brings new challenges and new opportunities mm. um, our, our sports lawyers who are our listeners and readers will, will know the answer to this question already but for those people who are less familiar um, with sports law what does arbitration offer as a process for, for, for sports uh, disputes what is why, why is it beneficial and why is it utilized why is it important um, there is um an expression that we used for the uh, first ad hoc division of CAS at the Olympic Games in '96 in Atlanta. Uh, it was uh, fair, fast and free. Um, fair, fast, free, I think these three words are correct, even if for the uh, um, financial participation of the parties it's no longer free for every kind of procedure. Uh, it's still free for disciplinary matters uh, in, of an international nature. Uh, so it means that an athlete can file an appeal and uh, would have to pay only the filing fee of 1,000 francs, Swiss francs, but nothing else. Well, he, he or she will have to pay uh, his or her, uh, own legal costs and if uh, this person wins the, the procedure in the end, may get some compensation decided by the CAS arbitrators from the other party. But they would have, these parties would have no uh, arbitration costs to, to pay, which is important to facilitate access to justice. For commercial and contractual disputes, um, nowadays we request the parties to contribute to the arbitration cost. It's only the services of the panel, not the overall costs. Uh, so it's, I would say, the, the minimum we can ask the parties to pay uh, in order also to not to block uh, a procedure for financial reasons. Arbitration is different from a civil law procedure because uh, the parties, when I say the parties, so it could be an athlete, clubs, uh, federation uh, involved in the dispute before CAS have the right to select an arbitrator, so a judge uh, of their choice, from our um, list 
of arbitrators, which is mandatory. Uh, the list is mandatory, but the choice is quite large with, as I said, almost 300 arbitrators on the list. So this is important because um, it means that the parties can also have an influence on the constitution of the panel. Uh, the president of the panel would be appointed either by the two first arbitrators or by CAS, depending on the procedure. Uh, but uh, always uh, the co-arbitrators are consulted before uh, the president of the panel is appointed. Uh, the important thing is that these, uh, these arbitrators, this panel, must be independent from the parties. So a party could not select an arbitrator uh, which um, maybe was uh, in connection with the lawyer of that party or a member of the same firm uh, and so on. So there's a control here which is very important because if we do not control this uh, independence of arbitrators, the final decision of CAS can be challenged and annulled before the Swiss Supreme Court. Um, there's a procedure for uh, challenge against arbitrators. If the other party has doubts about the nomination of, a, of an arbitrator, this, this party can raise objections and there's a, a small and internal uh, procedure which is conducted by the ICAS, not the CAS, but it's a separate uh, um, organization. Um, if I can also jump on the uh, FAST, uh, sure. because this is also important to uh, remember, uh, our procedures are calibrated uh, to allow parties to get decisions on time when it's useful, not after two or three years when everybody has forgotten the result of a competition or that an athlete was suspended for two years for nothing because in the end he was not guilty. So it's very important, I think, uh, that CAS can still offer uh, an efficient procedure, a quick procedure, which would allow parties and in particular athletes to know about uh, their fate because uh, if they need to know if they can be eligible to participate in World Championships or Olympic Games, they cannot wait for years, they need the, the decision quickly. And uh, we have different means for that. Either we can order interim measures, we can uh, impose uh, expedited procedure in order to have a short calendar, procedural calendar, um, or we can simply deliver uh, the decision without the grounds if there's some urgency to know the, just the result and the grounds uh, can be delivered a little bit later. So that's very important. We have examples but I, I don't know if uh, we have time to, to, to talk about that but if the parties can tell us when uh, they need a decision we would uh, calculate the procedural calendar in accordance with that wish. And what, what would be the quickest time that you've turned the case around, Got, so brought the panel together, appointed the arbitrators, mm. um, so got the, the, the pleadings from both parties and then issued a, uh, a decision. I think the quickest uh, full normal procedure was uh, three and a half weeks, like uh, 19 days, something like that, um, which was the case of um, the Brazilian swimmer uh, Cesar Cielo. Um, he was uh, found uh, positive with um, a substance um, which, uh, apparent of ephedrine and uh, or caffeine, and um, this was a uh, the origin of that substance was not very clear. And uh, the athlete said it was contamination of a product which uh, he was uh, using. Um, and we were just weeks before the World Championship in Shanghai in 2011. And uh, everybody, I mean, 
Athletes plus uh, FINA, the Swimming Federation, wanted a decision before the beginning of the World Championship. So we had to organize uh, a very short time frame for the exchange of written statements, plus a hearing in Shanghai just uh, three days before the start of the competition. And the decision would, would have come, I think, uh, two days after the hearing. So we had a full panel, three arbitrators, exchange of written submissions, oral hearing and decision in writing. I think three or three to four weeks is feasible, but it needs uh, a hard. Uh, <laughs> it's a hard time for the arbitrators, and they need to work very hard. And, and, and ad hoc division. Say that's it. that's a good question. Yeah, because uh, that's when I when I was talking about Cielo, it's the normal procedure of CAS, which can be expedited. But as you rightly say, uh, we have also this uh, ad hoc uh, divisions, uh, um, which are appointed on the occasion of Olympic Games or Commonwealth Games soon or Asian Games later this year. Uh, this is a group of arbitrators who are available in the Olympic city. For example, if I think of Sochi, uh, Winter Games, uh, we had nine arbitrators in Sochi available for any type of uh, disputes which would be submitted to CAS. And the procedure there would last only 24 hours or 48 hours depending on the urgency, but 24 hours, it is something we can do. Uh, arbitrators are available, they are ready. Um, all parties normally are on the same site, uh, so we can meet quickly, we can have a hearing, we do not have exchange uh, written submissions, no paperwork, we limit, uh, I would say, the administrative work to the minimum, and uh, everything is uh, decided at the hearing. So, hearing with witnesses, experts, everybody, if they, if they can, they, they should come, even also potentially affected parties may attend the hearing and uh, the panel after the hearing would deliberate and issue a decision uh, as quick as possible. But it's a special procedure only applicable during uh, games times. But, but that, I guess that's the whole point, isn't it? That it's, it has to be quick, it has to be expeditious because of the impact of when you, you, know, you don't get the opportunity again, if you've waited four years to compete at the Olympics, yeah. you know, I guess you, you need that, that, that certainty of outcome. Um, traditionally, we get uh, selection disputes or qualification disputes, problems regarding quota uh, at the beginning of the games, so athletes who want to know if they are selected or not. And during the games time or later, we get uh, the first disciplinary cases or uh, even a few field of play cases, even if, according to our jurisprudence, we do not uh, entertain these cases. Sometimes uh, we need to know if there is a real, uh, I would say, uh, if something was, um, if the rules were totally ignored, for example, uh, by the federation, which would have changed the result of a competition, this is something we can look at. Uh, if I can follow up on that, uh, would I would add also that we have a system of legal aid. Uh, it's a legal aid fund that we have put in place for those athletes, I would say um, physical persons, who do not have the financial means to proceed before CAS. Uh, these, um, this uh, legal aid fund uh, would offer uh, either that the arbitration cost be paid by CAS and not by the, by the, the party. Uh, if the athlete needs a legal representation, we can offer a pro bono lawyer working for free for this person. And um, if there is any need for uh, reimbursement of costs like uh, travel and accommodation costs in order for this person to attend a hearing, we can also provide that.
And uh, I think that's one of the, the sort of best kept secrets of the cast because I was speaking to Brent Nwicky about this and he was telling me about the pro bono service and I said that's fantastic, uh, you know, because I get a lot of questions from uh, uh, people who are, you know, maybe aspiring sports lawyers or in sports or want to help athletes and they're not quite sure how to. They love to be involved with cast cases and, you know, in some way, shape or form. How would they, how, if you're maybe a young lawyer or an experienced lawyer and you're looking to do some sports work and you think, you know, as part of my practice, I'd love to do some pro bono work uh, with athletes uh, in front of the CAS. How would they go about getting involved or applying? If they want to be part of the pro bono scheme, uh, uh, well, they should uh, show their interest and the right to us. Well, we would see if uh, we need uh, these um, pro bono lawyers. I mean, depending on their geographical representation, we don't need 20 pro bono lawyers in, uh, I would say, in Italy or Spain, for example, if um, we do not use Italy, Italian or, or Spanish as a language of arbitration. Uh, of course, people from Switzerland would be welcome because it's close to, to Lausanne, so we limit also the, the costs, uh, but we do have... Uh, pro bono lawyers from many different countries, including also North America and Australia. The goal is being uh, is that really the, the uh, athletes um, can have the benefit of legal assistance uh, without being uh, troubled by financial aspects. And I guess there's a, there is, uh, I guess I'll add to that, that there has to be a certain quality that you, know, you have to, I, I presume, be at a certain standard, again, meet the, the requisite criteria you'd say if you wanted to be a CAS arbitrator. Um, you know, you, you need to understand sport. Yeah, of course. To be a yes. practicing lawyer, have experience to be able to help the athletes, otherwise they may be disadvantaged. Um, yes, yeah. that's, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. I think it's a, it's a great service uh, and much needed. What would you say, as, a, as an arbitrator, what would you say are the key skills you need or what, what would you say are the, the traits of a, that you would say of a, of a great arbitrator? Uh, the best profile is probably um, a former athlete or still an active athlete, but I don't think uh, he or she would have the time. But uh, let's say a former athlete with uh, a good knowledge of, of sport, of course, uh, not only his own sport, but generally uh, sport uh, at large, plus, of course, a full education in law, uh, up to a barrister or solicitor or attorney at law, and uh, some practice, of course. And perhaps uh, if this person is also interested in international arbitration, uh, it would be perfect. It's very well. It's quite rare to have a person doing both international arbitration and sports law. I would say professionally, uh, there are few, but not many, and uh, these are rare to, to find. So they are precious <laughs> for us. Uh, but I think the experience of a um, sports career is certainly a bonus uh, for for the arbitrators to understand. Uh, I would say also the positions of athletes, federation, and so on. Um, and of course, what is important is uh, to be able to conduct arbitration in French or English, uh, which are both uh, the um, working languages of CAS. Uh, we also offer arbitration in Spanish or other languages like German, Italian, Portuguese. Uh, when we have the capabilities, I mean, when the arbitrators are ready to do that and are capable of uh, rendering an award in this particular language, uh, we do also, I think, provide we, we provided a, an arbitration arbitral award in in uh, Russian, I think one, and um, that's it. Uh, 
so far nothing in Arabic or Chinese or Japanese, but uh, why not? One day it could be possible if we have enough arbitrators uh, able to work in that language. The only difficulty would be for us, for the CAS court office and for the ICAS members, if they want to read the award, of course a translation would be necessary, but uh, that's, uh, that's feasible. So coming on to you then, how did you, so you're, I guess you're in one of the, I guess the, the highest profile, well not maybe the highest profile, but one of the most influential jobs within sports law. How did you get into sports law? What was your, what's your background? How did you end up at, uh, as, a, as a general secretary for CAS? Mm. Um, I would say my story starts back to the 90s. Um, I was um, a former athlete, um, 800, 400 meter runner. Uh, at the end of my career, it was rather 200 meter, but uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was a pretty good athlete in the junior classes, but when I get to the elite uh, class after 20 years, uh, it was more difficult. Uh, I was still at the national level, but w without any hope for uh, an Olympic career. So it was easier for me also to move to, uh, to studies and to, uh, to continue my, my work. Uh, at the same time, well, at, after my uh, athletic career, I practiced rugby in Switzerland, which was also an interesting uh, development for me. Swiss, uh, rugby in Switzerland is not so famous. I think it's uh, rather played in the west part of Switzerland, in the French part, with a few teams in Zurich, Bern and Basel. Um, so the level is, I would say, moderate, but uh, I like this uh, collective sport very much. It was uh, good fun. And um, yeah, that was my, my interest in sport is, uh, is great. Um, I follow sport everywhere, uh, any kind of activity, sports activities, uh, winter sports, uh, all, all kind of sports. Um, so that's another, for another program, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Uh, so for me, the goal was really to manage to find a job which could combine both sport and the law, because I was interested also in law. I studied law at the University of Neuchâtel, and after that, um, I realized that CAS existed. It was in 1995, and uh, um, I tried uh, to, to get in touch with the uh, CAS people at that time. And like always in this kind of situation, um, when you come at the right time, you are lucky and you can get a chance to, to do something. And it was the case when I, I contacted uh, the former Secretary General, uh, Jean-Philippe Rochard. Uh, he was interested to have um, a counsel, um, an, uh, an assistant, a clerk, uh, for doing uh, some preparation of, um, of drafts, uh, documentation, rules. Uh, and I started with the first training of one month, then it was extended to four months, six months. And finally I was uh, hired with a real contract uh, for uh, one year, and was, which was uh, repeated. Um, and I, I started from 1995, as uh, I would say with a, a short-term contract, which was finally uh, confirmed I mean, uh, with a normal contract of... Uh, uh, undetermined duration and uh, I was a council so I was in charge of um, I would say uh, um, managing the cases uh, with the arbitrators and the lawyers of the parties so like we do have here uh, the system where councils follow each case uh, in order to make sure that the procedure is complied with that uh, the time limits are respected that uh, the case is uh, followed uh, carefully by the arbitrators and uh, etc. 
my job changed in 2000, where I was uh, proposed to be the new Secretary General of CAS because of the increased activity. The former Secretary General uh, could not accept to, to continue, and it was a part-time job at the time, and it became a full-time job when I started in 2000. We were three employees at that time in uh, wow. 1999, and suddenly uh, we had so many cases uh, coming up. Uh, with football joining also, uh, recognizing the jurisdiction of CAS, uh, all Olympic sports using the CAS services. So we went from 40, 50 cases a year up to 100, 200, uh, 200 per year uh, in 2003. And uh, the life here changed totally. Uh, I had to recruit new people. Um, we had to move to another place, a bigger place. And, uh, and uh, step by step, we, we continue the, the development and the evolution of CAS. And how many cases in the last year, how many cases do you think? It's, a, it's a new record. We have registered uh, 407 cases. So it's more wow. than a case per day. Uh, of course, they don't, all, they, they don't come all in the end uh, with, uh, with a full procedure. Uh, some some cases would uh, be settled before before the end, like because the parties can find arrangements, settlements, or because uh, the parties do not participate in the um, uh, do not pay any costs uh, that we cannot cover uh, for the arbitrators, and the, the procedure would stop. But uh, 400 cases, it's it's the new record, and uh, we we expect that uh, there is a, an increase of five percent every year now. Well, that's great. The more cases you hear, the more we have to write about. <laughs> yeah, <certainly. laughs> to, to agree, so yeah. that's good for us. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> um, so, from your experience, then it sounds that you know this would seem to be uh, common from the, the people that I interview uh, over, the, over the last few years, in particular, that taking opportunities when they arise and being uh, proactive about seeking work in sports law and actually. Uh, taking that step seems to be one of the, the, the key reasons that you're in a lot of hard work, obviously, and, and you'd like to think some ability is <laughs> um, the reason why you've, you've managed to uh, be successful in sports law. Would you say that that is something, that, you know, if you could give people advice on steps to take for aspiring sports lawyers, at what level, uh, well, sorry, at any level, what would it be? Would it be that or...? For sports lawyers, yeah. you mean? Um, well... It's, it's hard to give an advice because this depends on, on the country, on the kind of uh, clientele, um, clients you have. Um, it's, um, it's a, at the same time, it's a small world and, and something which potentially is quite big. Uh, so to find the right place is, is not easy. When I see uh, colleagues, uh, uh, lawyers starting uh, a law firm specialized in sports law, Sometimes it can work very well if you have uh, a few good cases in the beginning and uh, make some publicity. And then suddenly you have, um, like uh, we say in French, un filon. A filon means that you, it brings uh, another, uh, another case followed by another one and so on and so on. And then um, word of mouth would also help a lot in a certain uh, area, certain sports. And uh, you, sometimes you don't know why uh, one is successful and the other one is not. Uh, Although they do that, they have the same kind of competences and education. It's a matter of self-promotion. Also, I think it's important to be visible in seminars, conferences, and so on. But in the end, 
it's like in every sport, only the result counts. And uh, if you are a good lawyer, also there will be uh, people knowing that and they, they will come back to you. I understand in September, I believe, that the CAS are holding a conference here in Switzerland. Uh, can you just tell me a bit about that, who, who you expect to attend, what is going to be the topics that are going to be discussed? Yes, uh, it will be the 5th and the 6th of September. It will be at the Borivage Palace in Lausanne. Uh, we organize this seminar every two years uh, together with the Swiss Bar Association and um, it's, I would say, we, cover, we try to cover the main topics uh, that we are used to, namely the procedure, um, some, uh, I would say, uh, doping jurisprudence, uh, jurisprudence in doping, jurisprudence in, in football. Uh, we try also to cover some uh, would say recent uh, development of uh, sports law, including, for example, here the World Anti-Doping Code, uh, new version, 2015. Um, and uh, I think it's also a good, uh, it's a good opportunity for sports lawyers to meet and also to make some promotion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a very nice event, and uh, I don't know when the, this program will be broadcasted, but at the time, I think we have only. 10 or 15 uh, seats available. So it's really, it's a big success. Uh, almost the three, 300 uh, seats have been uh, uh, sold and uh, we have only a few left. So it's, uh, it's a big success and uh, everybody must be quick to register before the end. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Really You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Well, that's all we have time for for this show, but thank you for tuning in. Remember, for all your expert commentary and analysis on the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, go to lawinsport.com, follow us on Twitter, at lawinsport, or go to our Facebook, Google+, or YouTube pages. Have a great week.